I was a lawyer and I decided to move into organizational consulting work. So the industries do not pay the same. Let's just be honest. What I was making at $500 an hour as an attorney, I was not going to get that <laughs> in a corporate job. This is Chan with the Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy, actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It's good to be here. How's your week been treating you? You know, it's been pretty good. At least the weather has been nice. We've had some very weird weather here. So, you know, it's been really super warm. So, and it's almost Friday. So, yay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Like where I'm from in Canada, we had a Victoria Day long weekend last weekend. So that's like the unofficial start of summer. And it's also a change in seasons, which is a good segue to our topic today in terms of making a career change, right? Like change of season, like change of scenery, change of career. So I get, I think there's a thread here. (laughs) Yeah, there's a thread. Yeah. So I understand that you are in the career space, Mm -hmm. helping professionals make career pivots, whatever that may be. So I thought it'd be a good conversation for you to come on and discuss strategies to make that career pivot without having to sacrifice reputation, income and success. Yeah, Uh, Before we dive into our main topic, Carol, why don't you tell my audience a little bit more about what you do and what has been your career like? Because I know that we discussed offline that you also had made a career pivot yourself. Absolutely. Absolutely. So what I do now is that I do work primarily with women who are high achieving, high career women. Usually what I say, climb the ladder of success and got to the top and realized they didn't quite like the view. So they wanted to pivot and do something a little bit different. And I also do organizational consulting and work within that space as well, helping to drive innovation and increase psychological safety and trust within organizations and sustainable accountability. And what my pathway started, I spent 10 years as a labor and employment attorney, actually in Chicago, and did labor and employment law, employment discrimination litigation for a lot of years, and realized that I was not quite in the path that I wanted to be. Law by nature is very adversarial and my nature is more mediative and trying to find solutions for people. So I made a pivot and start working in organizations and with organizations, first of all, to help them not get sued. That was kind of like my pitch. Let me help you not get sued because I know what the other side looks like. And so I spent a career Another career doing organizational consulting and coaching and work group development and things that similar to the things that I'm actually even doing now on my own. And I really enjoyed that work. And I was doing it at a time when organizational development wasn't really as popular. Usually the people that were doing it were a psychologist or HR people were trying to figure it out before it really became its own profession. And so I went, I got a degree in organizational development and really enjoyed going back to school. So I got my doctorate in human development and organizational systems to really understand the connection of identity development and who we are and the relationship to that, to the career that you choose and how you thrive in organizational settings. And that led me into a career in academia where I started teaching. I 
became an associate professor and I was teaching leadership. I started directing graduate programs and I became a director of an organizational development and leadership program and a public health program and then moved into academic leadership as an associate dean. And around the precipice of my 50th birthday, I decided that I wanted to take all of that brilliance and start doing my own thing. And so I launched my own practice doing the work that I do now. What a story. Like, you've done a lot. You've done a law, education, and now you are running your own practice, right? Helping women who have exceeded their career expectations, but then realize that's not what they want and they're looking to make a career change. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so and I do that work because I understand the experience of it. When I was thinking about making the final pivot in my career, I had a lot of angst about it because I thought, well, how can I do that? And pretty much with every pivot that I made, there was question about, you know, can I leverage what I've done before and make it matter for the next time? And I've been successful in doing that. And when people would ask me the question about it, that's when I started thinking, well, how can I help other people do the same? Because I think we were raised with this fallacy that everyone should have one perfect job for the rest of their lives. And sometimes we stay stuck in things that we don't like because we think there are no other options. And I really, the, what I'm passionate about with this work is helping people to realize that they can do anything that they want to do. If they understand what they bring to the table, they can wrap that into any package that really makes the best sense for them, within reason, of course. So for young professionals that are listening right now, what are some common mistakes that you want them to avoid when they are picking their first career or first job? Yeah, that is a great question. In fact, I just wrote a piece on that earlier today where somebody asked me that question. And if I had to go back, and I do you know, sometimes mentor and coach new professionals, is to get clear on not just this is the job that I'm doing or to lose yourself in the job that you're doing, but get clear on the skill sets that you bring to the table, right? Don't get lost in the job and the title and the position and the organization, but really lean in and get super clear into your skills, your gifts, your talents, and your abilities. Pay attention to how you work. What excites you about your work? What are the things that you really do well that you love to do and want to do more of? So I would say start paying a lot of attention to that because that's going to make a difference around about you feeling confident and comfortable in knowing that you can take that skill set and to step into any other position you may want to as you further your career. The other thing I want to stress, and I hope you can elaborate, is that people want to, well, at least young professionals, they want to pick a perfect job right at the gate. But as you know, like things change. As you get older, you might want to try different things. It's just natural. Yes. So what is your opinion in terms of like, there's no such thing as like a perfect job right at the gate because you still need experience so much and it's okay to pivot later on. Because some yeah, people might think that absolutely. making a career change is considered a failure, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, it is not. In fact, you know, one of the things that I do is I sit on a workplace future with the Career Thought Leader Association, and we talk about the future of work. And one of the things in those conversations is that we say the career ladder is not what you should go after, but it's rather called the career lattice. And what I mean by that is that you should be able to kind of hopscotch and pivot throughout your career as you grow and determine the type of things that you really want to do. So one, it's a fallacy to believe there's only one job and one track. Now, now let me say for those of people out there who love what they do and they want to do it until they retire, 
like, God bless you, keep going. But for a lot of people, as you said, if you decide to start having children, if you decide to relocate, if you decide to go back to school, if you get married, if you get divorced, you know, there's so many life experiences that will impact your interest, your passions, your values, your experience, and how you want to do the work that you do. So I always teach people that your career is only a piece of the greater ecosystem of your life. It's just a slither. And what you do with your career should be just as related to other aspects of your life as your life is going to impact the aspects of your career. So don't feel trapped to think that if I decide I want to do something different, listen, I went to law school and decided I don't want to be a lawyer. So (laughs) there's nothing wrong with deciding to make a pivot to do something that feels more meaningful, more valuable, and more aligned with your skills. If you feel you can make a greater impact someplace else than where you are now, that's smart career management, right? That's not a failure. Can you elaborate more on the part about how your career is just a small slither of your overall well-being? I think a lot of people, at least very career-driven, they focus so much on their career that they drop the other balls, whether it's health, relationships, and so on. So can you elaborate more in terms of like how to find that right balance and how it's not always best to go 150% in your career, because then you're going to drop the other balls and you end up also wrecking those areas as well. Yeah. I mean, there's two reasons why you shouldn't go all in your careers, because what happens is as you get older, and studies have shown this, that your professional identity becomes more powerful than your own individual identity. And that's another reason why people sometimes struggle with being able to shift careers or do something different, is because they see themselves as I'm an accountant, or I'm an engineer, or I'm an IT person, as opposed to no, this is who I am. And that's just a job that I do. So it's dangerous to put all your eggs really in your career basket and just keep your head down and focus on that and nothing else. The other thing is that I you know, believe in what I call career life alignment as opposed to work-life balance. And what I mean by that is, as I mentioned earlier, that your career is going to influence your life. If you're putting your head down and you're focusing on your career, it's going to impact your health. You're going to get burned out. You're not going to be as focused in on the people around you. So you'll that's going to impact your relationships with other people. It's going to impact your own health and ability to have the stamina to do the work that you really want to do, right? It's It's going to impact your ability to form other, you know, relationships. It's also going to impact your career in that if you're so focused and driven around your career, you're going to miss opportunities that may come if you were to network or if you were to meet other people or take other seminars or look at other industries that can help advance your career. So you don't want to have this kind of myopic singular view of your career because it will limit you not only your health, but also in your relationships and potentially in the in getting the career that you want. I coach so many people who want to go into leadership and they wonder why they get passed over. And it's because they don't have any breadth and depth of experience. They don't have a life. They don't have anything of interest. They're not doing anything different. And people want leaders who understand how to lead people. And the way you understand how to lead people is by having experience and exposures and things other than just keeping your head down and doing your job. So to add to that, what should professionals do to really make themselves more well-rounded besides just doing the work? 
Yeah, well, I would say find some associations that really excite you, both personally and professionally. So if you love reading, join book clubs. And, you know, it doesn't have to be a professional-based book club, but join a book club so you can get well-rounded around other areas of interest or literature or, um, you know, different genres that are out there. I'm a movie buff, and I love movies. And so I will always watch a movie. And the beautiful thing about it is that they give me great metaphors and ideas that I could bring in the workplace as examples to explain things that I do with my clients or other people. If you love traveling, travel, because then you'll meet other people, which will expand your ability to work with diverse individuals and have more cultural experiences and expanded perspective. So that'll show that you can maybe work with a diverse and wide group of team members, right? So doing these other things and having some other, you know, foci really will help you to be able to be more successful. And you can also, if you do have an interest in your career, join your industry association and go to conferences and start networking and meeting people in other industries and do some reading that you can do in your industry or take a seminar or a masterclass or something of that nature. But you definitely don't want the work itself to be the only thing that you do and the only focus because you'll really be limiting yourself in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. I always tell people that like the work can get you there, but the relationships that you build over time is what can get you to the next level. Absolutely. Networking is the key to everything. I mean, a lot of the people that I work with are able to transition into different careers and jobs and take different positions through networking, not because of their resume, not because of all their years of experience, but because they've made connections and resources so that when they're looking to do something different, all they have to do is, you know, open up that LinkedIn list of people that they're connected with or those business cards that they have on file and start reaching out to people. It makes a big difference. In fact, the statistics, I think are like 85% of people actually land positions through networking. So it is a powerful resource to not just focus on the work, but to focus on building relationships and building, particularly today since the pandemic, building those communicative skills, your ability to work and relate to other people, your critical analytic thinking skills, your understanding and use of digital technology and AI. I mean, it's so much more than skill-based right now in order to get ahead in the game. And speaking of like, as you said, like people switching careers, you had the term the midlife career rebel, right? So how did that term for you come about (laughs) and what are you trying to convey with that terminology? Yeah, you know, I came up with that term because we have been following a tried and true pathway through our careers for a lot of decades. And the pandemic has thrown most of that out of the water. And we really have to be more entrepreneurial in our thinking in order to get ahead in our careers. And so it means that we have to think about our personal brand. It means we have to learn how to articulate a narrative about what we can offer in the world. It means that we have to show up in spaces demonstrating a more internal or soft skills that we used to call them as opposed to just skill-based skills. So it's requiring us to take a different approach right? It's like going along the lattice instead of the ladder, like I talked about. So because it's requiring you to be different and to kind of throw out the rule book and do something different, that's where I came up with the idea of really being a rebel. Because in a lot of ways to get ahead, you have to be a little bit of re- little bit of a rebel, a little rebellious against the rules and the status quo, and really start marking your own path and playing by a different set of rules that maybe you were handed when you started your career that you're going to have to adapt in order to get ahead in the future of work. 
So to expand on that, so there's a set of rules that you get when you're a young professional, whether it's through your parents or through your university or college career counselors that are there. And then mm -hmm. the rules change or you adapt over time and learn that these are the real rules. So what has been your experience in terms of like the rules you got when you were young compared to what you got as you got more years in the corporate world? Yeah, well, the rule book that I was handed was that, which I think, again, has stood the test of time, which is you go to a school, the better the school, the better, right? You get a great job, and that you stay there and you work your way up into, you know, get promotions, greater titles, greater money, and you pretty much stay there until it's time to retire and move on, right? So my generation definitely was the one that stayed until retirement, even though a lot of that has changed. But today, it's really about how can you still advance? your skill sets? How are you not just going into an organization and seeing how you can get things from it, but how can you go in and impact the organization and make a difference inside of that organization? How are you thinking about your purpose and vision in your career? And how does that align to the vision and values of the organization? And how are you most importantly able to communicate that in a way that shows that you have something to offer that nobody else does, right? The thing at the pandemic has done has closed in our global society and almost made it like people are in your backyard as opposed to being overseas, if you will. And so because everyone is so available through LinkedIn and we have remote and hybrid work situations and people could be working from any place, the competition has increased. So how are you able to rise above the fray in order to demonstrate what you bring to the table? Another example is it's not about listing your skill sets and your education, but it's about how do you tell the story of your experience and tell the story of your work in a way that is memorable, that makes an emotional connection and makes you the most sought after candidate for any position that's potentially opened up. So as I said before, it's requiring you to think entrepreneurially about your career than it is to just kind of get in there and hoping people are going to have all the answers and the tools and open doors for you, because you're going to have to work a little bit harder and know how to market yourself, how to position yourself in a way that you really never had to do before. As long as you had the credentials, you were pretty good. But today, even some organizations are removing educational requirements for some positions because they're looking for people who know how to come in and market themselves and position themselves in a way that they know is going to really help the organization. So when it comes to making a career change, you are absolutely right in terms of like going against the status quo. There's also a lot of competition because you are competing with people not only want to make that career change, but people who are already in that field are just looking yes. to get another job. And you'll be at a strong disadvantage if you don't have a comprehensive job search personal branding strategy. So what is some of your advice in regards to making that career pivot when they are the long shot in getting the job from an experience perspective? Yeah, I say do your homework. That's the biggest thing. A lot of people think that if they have to make a pivot, that it has to happen right now, that as soon as they decide to make a change, they have to kind of jump out of the frying pan into the fire. And what I always say is what you want to do is build a bridge and you want to test out your options. You know, one of the things that I had to do when I did my dissertation is that we had to run a pilot study. And a pilot study is you testing out your research before you go after the big deal of doing your dissertation. And that's one of the things that I help my clients with is running what I call a pilot, which is going out and doing informational interviews, going out and shadowing people, going out and having conversations. You want to learn the vernacular 
and you want to know the terminology and you want to know how that industry works so that you can begin to start translating your skill sets and your background in a way that's going to impact the other organization or the industry that you're trying to move into, right? So remember, you can't just hand them all of your credentials and information and say, don't you think I should, (laughs) I'm ready and able to make that transition? No, you have to, in a lot of ways, be the interpreter and translate everything you've done and understand your skill sets in such a deep and cellular way that you're able to tell them, yes, of course, I don't have a degree in this, but let me tell you why my skill sets and my experience and my gifts and my talents can actually contribute to the organization and why you want me. It's the thing that's helped me and what's helped my clients to be able to transition from industry to industry really seamlessly because I'm able to let them know that this is what I can bring to the table. And that's what I train my clients to do is to teach them how to translate their skill sets in a way that makes sense into the new industry or the new organization that they're trying to step into. And one of the common mistakes that a lot of professionals make when they make or are trying to make a career change is, let's say they want to get into like uh, data analysis or UX, UI design, and they don't have any experience. They think that going to a boot camp and getting a certification, putting that in their education will get them more interviews, but that's obviously not the case. What's the failure in that perception? And as you said, you made some suggestions of what you should do, but what is something you should consider before you invest in those types of programs in terms of making that career change? Yeah, know what it takes to be a UX designer, like understand what the field requires and what they're looking for. And before you start going after other certifications or trying to put something on your resume to say that you have their credentials, what you still don't have is the experience. So what you could be getting instead of working on the credentials is sitting down and shadowing people, taking volunteer you know, opportunities, offering to do some work without getting paid for it. So instead of putting that you have this bootcamp certification on your resume, you can actually put that you have experience doing the work to demonstrate that you understand the industry, you understand what it takes, and you have the experience to be able to step into it. People often think that the only experience they can ever have is something they're paid to get. And your experience can come from a variety of ways. So you have to expand your thinking and where you can get the knowledge and the resources and the experience you can get to make the transition. That's all part of like kind of testing things out before you make that leap. We rely too heavily on external credentials and they're not the thing that makes a difference. Not today. No, for sure. Like there's so many boot camps out there and all these people are enrolling. So there's going to be a surplus of boot camp graduates that don't have the skill sets that employers are really looking for. So as you already suggested, there's other stuff that you need to do, whether it's volunteering or maybe taking on some side projects. Yeah. And networking, making sure, you know, to our earlier conversation that you're having conversations in the places that you want to be so that you know what it is that they're looking for. If you were to have a conversation with someone who's looking for a UX person, they may tell you, oh, please don't do a boot camp. This do this instead. Right. What we really are, because we can teach you once you get the job, we'll teach you how to do that. But what we really want is someone who has critical thinking skills. We want someone who knows how to see the big picture and know how to put the puzzle pieces together. We want someone who has really the ability to work well with other people. You know, the problem that we get with people going to those boot camps is that they don't know how to communicate with other people. Right. So you don't know what you don't know unless you're out there to really test the waters and just getting the credentials or getting another degree or all of that kind of stuff it's not going to cut it these days absolutely and the other thing i want to mention you said like doing volunteer work one of the fears that professionals have in terms of making a career pivot is having to start 
over or start at a lower salary bracket because they don't have that wealth of experience. But as you stated before, that you don't have to sacrifice income to get there. But we just talked about that you need volunteer experience to build up that experience. So companies can't take a chance on you. So that's a bit of the issue is like the chicken before the egg, right? Or the egg before yes. the, yeah, the chicken before the yeah. egg. So yeah. how can people make that career pivot who have that fear that, oh, I might have to make twenty or $30,000 less to, in order to get to the field that I want for this career change? <laughs> Yeah, like there's two paths to that. So one of the things I want to say is that if you're like, I was a lawyer, and I decided to move into organizational consulting work. So the industries do not pay the same. Let's just be honest. What I was making at $500 an hour as an attorney, I was not going to get that (laughs) in a corporate job. So if you know you want to make a pivot into something that just by the bare facts, you know there is going to require some level of a pay cut, it's okay if you're doing it on a temporary basis. Because I knew to get in the industry, I may have to take a dip, but I knew as soon as I got that experience, I was able then to step into a director position that put me at the level that I was at when I was you know, making the money as an attorney. So if you are strategic about it and you do it just for a moment, that's a possibility. Now, Now, that's only if the industries are not compatible in terms of salary. But for the most part, for any other other positions that I've taken, I've never gone down in salary. I've always bumped up in an increase because it's about what you bring to the table. I'll give you an example. I wanted to start doing mediation. This was in the midst when I was doing some thinking about transitioning out of law. One of the things I love to do is mediation. And while I was working as an attorney, when I talk about volunteer position, I did an internship. I, every morning, well, three mornings a week, I would go and intern at one of the top mediators in the city. She had a huge portfolio, a high reputation. So not only did I have her as a reference, ultimately, to talk about my mediation skills, but by going in for free and working with her, watching her mediations, watching how she did these certain type of mediations that I wanted to learn how to do, just a few hours a week, I was able to gain the experience while I was still working my job. So that when I transitioned, I was able to bring that skill set over and demand a higher salary than what I would have been able to do had I not done that experience. So there are ways that you can volunteer and there are ways that you can gain other experiences without necessarily going down or taking a dip in your salary. And if you know how to articulate your skills set in the right way, then you can demand the same salary, if not more, particularly if the industries are pretty much even in terms of salary, right? If you understand what you have to offer to the table, the other thing that I do and I teach my clients is because I've been doing negotiations, you know, I've done negotiations as a lawyer, negotiating multi-million dollar deals, as well as negotiating salaries. If you know how to negotiate for yourself, you definitely won't have the impact of a salary decrease because you'll know how to go in to ask for what the market bears and what the industry demands for the skill sets that you're bringing in. And the other fear is... The reputation, right? Let's say, yes. again, again, like for a lawyer is a procedure shop, similar to like a doctor or a banker, right? So maybe you want to do like a orthodox career move. Maybe you want to be a chef or something, right? So then you have like a lot of perceived notions of like, why are you making this move, right? Especially family or you have a good paying job like, where you want to do something like that, right? So, Oh, um, yeah. What, no, trust what are me. your thoughts on that? Yeah, you're going to have to develop some thick skin, right? If I were to listen to everyone who told me I was crazy for walking away from being a lawyer, I would still be a lawyer and very, very miserable. Because, you know, you do think you put in all that time, all that money, all that education. And what 
what the outside world thinks is that you're throwing it all away to do something different. But what I always tell people, I still use everything I learned as a lawyer in my work today. And it gives me a competitive advantage because I know how to negotiate. I know how to articulate a point. I know how to get my way in an argument. (laughs) I know how to research. I know how to think analytically. I know how to think 10 steps ahead of the person in front of me because that's what I had to do in a courtroom, right? That's what I had to do with a client. So even though I may not be practicing law, those skill sets that I developed and the same thing with anyone who's making the pivot, the skill sets you developed as a doctor, as an accountant, as, you know, whatever prestigious position you may have been in, you're going to bring that as a competitive advantage to any other thing that you do. People hired me a lot of the times because I did have a law degree, even though I wasn't being hired to be a lawyer, but they knew what I brought to the table was a set of skills and an experience that would make me much better in the role and would help the organization in a much better way, right? If you want to go from engineering to a chef, right, there's nothing wrong with that. If you decide that the skills that you've learned as an engineer are going to help you to become one of the best chefs out there, that's going to be sought after, right? You can laugh at your friends later who laughed at you when you open up a Michelin star restaurant that gets rave reviews (laughs) and it's one of the top restaurants in the city, right? So, So don't worry about what other people say. And that is going to be an issue. People are going to have opinions, but remember their opinions are not going to be the things that are going to give you the happiness and the success that you want in your life or career. And that's what matters so much more. And the one thing I want to emphasize is like if they're criticizing your move is because they don't have the courage to do it themselves, right? So it's not mostly really that's the case. Is it for yes. them, right? <laughs> that's all yes. I always say people can't see beyond their own limitations. And if they can't see it as a possibility for themselves, they won't be able to see it as a possibility for you. And the other thing I want to mention based on what you said earlier is that you might not have the traditional experience, but that actually might be advantageous because you can bring a different perspective to that industry that they might not be able to get from someone that only has that traditional experience. Exactly. Someone who has had those blinders on and only been in that one path, they, again, this is where we talked about earlier of having those, that disparate experiences and going into having this other background because you're able to bring something and a perspective that no one else could bring. And that, again, gives you a competitive advantage. So there's the midlife crisis as well as like changing careers in midlife, right? Yeah. So what's the difference between making a career move for the right reasons or just getting frustrated stuff and maybe you just want to change just for the sake of making a change, right? Which is like the midlife crisis aspect of it. So what is the difference? <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. At midlife, the midlife, I call it the midlife pivot. It is a very precarious time because you are literally stuck between mostly two generations when you get to that point. You have maybe children that you're bringing up and you have aging parents that you're taking care of. And so it's easy to kind of lose your perspective and have a desire to kind of break out and do something different because you've been in the same kind of rut for a long time. The challenge of just jumping into something else is 
the fact that it's like running headfirst with a blindfold on and running into a wall, right? I always tell people you never want to run from something. You want to step into something. And it's a different situation when you are clear about the direction you're going. You have the map, you have the direction, and you know where you're heading versus putting on a blindfold and just running blindly, hoping you're going to you know, land into something that's going to make sense. And so if you're feeling like you're in a literal crisis and you're feeling frustrated and you're desperate and you want to make a move, that is not the time to make a move. You want to deal with whatever emotional issue that you're dealing with before you step into something that's a different career, because 9.9 out of 10 times, you're going to regret the move. But if you're in a place where you're ready to make a pivot, you know, you're in the midlife pivot and you want to explore opportunities so that you can step into that next iteration or that next chapter of your life and career, then you want to take the time to do the exploratory work necessary about yourself and what you want to step into so that you're moving in a direction that you know that's going to be the best decision for you as opposed to something that you're going to regret later. And in terms of the career pivot, everybody wants to make the career pivot overnight, right? Like going back to my education example, they take a boot camp for a few months and then they move on to their next career. But obviously we know in reality, that's definitely not the case. No, so what are some recommendations no. that you suggest in terms of like staying patient and trusting the process in order to make the move? Because again, in my opinion, if you are making a career change, it's almost as if you don't have a job. It does take six to maybe 12 months to make that pivot. So what's your recommendation sort of being patient with the process? Yeah, absolutely. I think to the point, if you're feeling a desperation, you're not in a place to make a pivot. So if you're feeling at all desperate, this is not the time to do it. You want to be in this mindset where you're thinking long term about what do I want to do next? I always tell people to think of it as building a bridge. You're building a bridge from where you are to where you want to go. And if you think about any bridges that you know of, they are not short and they take more than a minute to build. So you're going to take some time to really explore yourself. What do you want to do? What are you interested in? Understanding your values, knowing what you bring to the table beyond the stuff that's on the paper, like the degrees and certifications. Then you want to explore how are you going to change the narrative of and translate those skills into where you want to go next. Then you want to try out some options to make sure you're headed in the right direction, right? And then is when you want to start making some changes or start making the move to going to what's next, which is networking, getting your resume together, having conversations, doing those informational interviews, right? And even that's going to take a process before the change actually takes place. So what you're doing is building a bridge from where you are to where you want to go. And if you don't have the patience to do that, then I would suggest that you not engage in the process because if you try to rush it or try to push it or try to skip steps, you're not going to be happy. <laughs> yeah, you definitely can't skip steps. I've tried to skip steps before and it never works out. Right. It never works. <laughs> and then the other side of the equation is the balance, right? If you're in midlife, I'm assuming you do have a family or at least have like a significant other. So with that being said, not only do you have like a full-time job, you also have to balance the relationship side of things while making a career change. So what are some recommendations that you can suggest in terms of like maintaining, having good time management skills so you have that balance to still be able to do your job well, still have a good relationship at home and still be able to do those steps in order to make that career change you're looking for? 
Yeah, that that's a great question because that's why it takes a, it's a bridge and not an overnight process because, you know, most people at midlife, not only do they have families, but you have a mortgage and you have probably tuition payments for those children that are either in, you know, a private school or heading to college, right? And you have vacation and pension and, you know, there's a lot on your plate at that time. So managing your time, in fact, it's interesting that you asked the question because when I work with people, the very first thing we work on is their time management because I want to make sure that they're able to create space to do the work necessary to make the transitions that they want to make. And I always say time management is a mind management issue because if you have over inundated your schedule with so much stuff, you are going to have to shift that so that you can make space for yourself. One of the things, and you know, the women that I work with particularly, but this happens on both ends, is that there is this belief that you don't have time for yourself or taking time for yourself is selfish and that you shouldn't, you should try to fit it in when you can. And so a lot of people don't create the space that they need to do the work that they need to do. So you want to first get clear. You want to clear out some space so that you can actually have time for yourself and not think you're going to just magically time's going to appear on your calendar for you to be able to do the work because it's never going to happen that way. So you want to sit down and have a conversation with your family and let them know, listen, I need to do this work. So, you know, your my partner is the one that's going to take you to, you know, practice or I'm not going to be attending the next games that you're going to be having or whatever you know, situation is the best for you and your family, you know, so you want to consider all of those pieces. Because like I said, your career is just a piece of the greater ecosystem of your life. So you don't want to embark on a transition and not take in all the other parts of your ecosystem to make sure there's not going to, something's not going to drop off or a ball's not going to drop or, you know, you're going to be in the middle of a divorce because (laughs) you didn't consider the impact that you going through this process is going to have on your family. And speaking of which, obviously, you can ignore like friends, family, well, your parents, so to speak, if you don't live with them. What I'm trying to get at is if you have a family, you obviously can't avoid them, right? So no. you do need to get buy-in. So what are some suggestions that you can recommend to like getting buy-in that this is the career change that you need to make for your uh, life? <laughs> Yeah, that's a really good question because buy-in is a tricky thing. Hopefully you're with somebody who's supportive enough, who understands that you making this change or this pivot is the best thing for you. And they know that if you are in something that's happy and fulfilling, that it'll make everyone else happy and fulfilling. So one of the things you just want to do is just explain, be clear about why this is important and why you want to make this shift. I know from a personal experience, when I decided that I wanted to leave my position as an associate dean and start a business, it had some ripple effects in the family. In fact, I remember my daughter at the time who was in high school, she's 24 now, but in high school, she asked, does that mean we're going to be poor now? Because I wasn't going to be working and bringing in the level of income that I was bringing in. And in fact, at the time, I was the main breadwinner in our family when I decided to make the shift. But we did sit down and we had several conversations. We looked at the budget. We looked at the responsibilities. We looked at what was on the calendar for the next three months, six months, and the next year. And we made a plan. We made a plan together about how this was going to work. We anticipated what the budget would look like in the household. We anticipated what the responsibilities would look like in the household. And we were able to make a plan together as a family so that I wasn't just throwing something upon them, but 
that we actually were in this together. And that's the biggest thing I would suggest that you do is that you think about the players involved. And the only people that matter, honestly, are the people that are within your household. And so if they're going to be impacted, the best way to get buy-in is to make sure that they're a part of the journey and a part of the decision-making process with you. When you work with clients, what are some of the common reasons that they call you in terms of like making a career change? Yeah, usually they feel very frustrated. They used to love what they do, but now they don't anymore. They used to have a lot of passion about it, but it doesn't mean anything. Or they went into a career that their parents suggested or that they thought was a good career or they went into it for the money and it just isn't sustaining them anymore. Or a lot of times at midlife, there's Erickson's theory of human development forgive me if I get theoretical for a moment, but it talks about that at different stages of our life, there are things that become more important to us. And usually at midlife, what happens is that a lot of people start looking back on their lives and start asking themselves, is this what I want to leave behind? They start asking themselves about the legacy that they want to leave. They start you know, thinking about regrets and things that they maybe could have done or didn't do. So a lot of that starts coming up and creeping up at that time. So a lot of times when they come to me, they're thinking about, well, as I move forward in my life, I want to make sure that I'm leaving a legacy, that I'm doing something meaningful, that I'm setting an example for my children, that I'm role modeling what's possible for my family. So many of the times it's a really meaningful transition that they want to make. And for some people, it's just as simple as, you know, I love what I do, but not in this industry or in this organization. And I want to pivot and either move into a different organization or I want to pivot into a different industry. And the other thing I get sometimes as well is that people have had a 20, 25 year career. They're about to retire, but they still have a lot of years left. And now they want to do something completely different and they want to figure out what that is. Or some people just want to start their own entrepreneurial venture and they want help to be able to do that. What's the difference between you just need to change an environment, but you like what you do compared to like, you actually don't like what you do regardless of what the environment is. Like, for example, if you work at a toxic company, it doesn't matter how passionate you are about this certain field, you're just not going to like it because you don't like the people you work with compared to changing an environment. And then you actually enjoy the work again because you work with high achievers or whatever type of personalities you gel well with. So how can you tell the difference between like, you might just need to change an environment, not necessarily you need to change your field. Yeah, that's a good question. Like, you know, again, using my example as a lawyer, it didn't matter if I left and, you know, worked at a nonprofit or worked in a big eight law firm. I did not want to be a lawyer. The environment had nothing to do with it. It was the practice of law itself that I didn't want to do anymore. So that's when I knew I needed to pivot out into a completely different career, a completely different professional. But for some people, that's what it is about. I know some other colleagues who, you know, they were practicing in a big top law firm, but then when they went over and started working in a nonprofit or working for a social service organization or, you know, working for, you know, a social justice or civil rights organization doing law, they loved it. So they loved the profession. They just hated doing it where they were doing it. And that's one of the ways you can gauge it. If you can see yourself, and again, this comes with testing things out, right? If you think maybe it's the place that you're at, then go and have conversations and visit other places where they're doing maybe similar work to see if it is an environmental misfit 
right? And if it's an environmental misfit, that can be easily transitioned, right? So we're talking about a little shorter bridge than a longer bridge. But if we're talking about a complete, like, I don't want to be a lawyer anymore. I want to, you know, do something completely different. That's a longer bridge and a longer conversation than to say, okay, now how can I translate my skill sets into this other profession? But the best way to know is to, you know, if you can see yourself doing the same work, but only someplace else, and if you maybe visited a few places and said, man, if I was working here or doing this work, it would be amazing. That's how you know it's not the profession itself. It's just the environment. That's not a match for you. Let's say they reached out to you. One of the issues that you brought up, like they're frustrated with where they are. They chose this career path because their parents guided them into it. What would be some of the like the main takeaways or the first steps that you want these potential clients to do before you really start getting into the deeper work of making that career transition? Yeah, the thing that I talk about is that doing this change is what I say is the inner and outer game strategy. Okay. And what I mean by that is that one of the first things you could do from an outer game strategy is to start getting clear about your values, what matters to you, what's important to you, right? Start looking at the things you love to do, the things you would love to do more of, start thinking about where and who and how you would love to do that work, and really just start getting that on paper. One of the things that I find incredibly fascinating is when I ask people, tell me what you want to do, is that they're often stuck because they've never really asked themselves what they really wanted to do. What they asked themselves was, where can I get a good job? How can I make more money? What title do I want? What company do I want to work with? But they've never really asked themselves, what do I really want to or love to do? So that's the outer game kind of tactic and strategy first is to ask yourself those questions and really get that on paper. But the inner game strategy is also to really sit down and figure out what kind of fears, what kind of limiting beliefs, what kind of self-doubt, what kind of confidence challenges and issues you may have. If you have a little bit of imposter syndrome, like that stuff will keep you from taking any action steps to get where you want to go. Because someone can lay out a complete plan of action for you. But if you are fearful that making a move is going to be the wrong move for you, or if you believe that you don't quite have the skills necessary, or you don't think someone's going to hire you, or you have self-doubt or self-esteem issues, then the best strategies in the world aren't going to work. And that's why I call it an inner and outer game strategy. So one of the things that we coach on is both that inner game, your confidence, your mindset, your limiting beliefs, all those doubts, so we can clean that stuff out so that you can take the necessary action to go to what it is that you want to go into next. Much of the reason that people don't transition is because they don't believe it's possible for themselves and they doubt themselves and they doubt their experience and ability to be able to make the transition. And unless that gets worked on, you're not going to be successful in making the transition, no matter how talented you are. Yeah. Like I speak to a lot of professionals, right? And like, Yes, it might not be I'm a good salesman, but again, like I could sell them the, like the magic bullet if there is such thing and they still would not buy it because they deep down don't believe that they can actually do it. Yeah. Which is unfortunate. That's exactly but again, right. like, yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's so unfortunate, but that is one of the things that will stop you. And that's why we're very, you know, upfront with the fact that this is an inner and outer game, that we're going to work on your mindset because even you thinking about making a transition for some people becomes so overwhelming that they can't even make the step 
to do it. And so we have to work through that. You have to acknowledge any of those fears, acknowledge any of those challenges, particularly when you start getting feedback from family and friends who are like, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? But you have such a good job. You make such good money. They have such good benefits. Like, why would you leave? When you start getting that feedback, you will shut down in a moment if you aren't doing the inner game work. Again, I spoke to professionals, right? They're frustrated with where they are. And then I give them the price for my program, what have you. And then they'll do the, I'll think about it. And then they start getting comfortable. Say, you know what? It's not as bad. I just may have a bad day. And then they forget <laughs> about it and then continue on with what they were doing, right? And then it's a cycle. Yeah. Once they get another bad day, then they start like, it's that cycle of inaction, right? It's clearly a cycle of inaction. But a lot of it, I think over the years of doing this work, I think it's because they just don't trust themselves. They don't trust themselves or believe in themselves. So the reason when, you know, they get, I get the same thing. They're excited. They're like, yes, we need to do it. They see the price and they're like, well, maybe I can make it work for another, you know, six months. But I believe that's in correlation to not because of what the price of the program is, but it's a correlation to their lack of belief in their ability to actually make this work. And so they doubt that it'll work for themselves. So when they see that price, they're thinking, oh, that's too much, you know, because they don't believe they can make it happen. But for those who do believe they can make it happen, then no price would get in the way of that, right? If you know that this is going to work for me, and I know that this is the path that I could take, and I'm ready, I don't care what the number is, you will go for it and pay it two or three times over if you, because you believe. And so when you don't trust your own decision-making abilities, and a lot of people have lost the trust in their ability to make a decision because they look back and realize they made some bad choices. And so they don't trust that the next choice is going to be a good one. And so I take that totally to mean that's a lack of belief and trust in themselves whenever they say no. But I get that too. I hear exactly what you're saying. To wrap up our conversation today, Carol. So I asked this question to all my guests at the end of our conversation. So my podcast about helping professionals overcome career challenges, in this case, making that career pivot without sacrificing reputation, success, and income. Yeah. So for you, what has been one big challenge during your career, whether it's like making a career pivot or changing your mindset, what was that one challenge that you had to overcome to get to where you are today? Yeah, great question. I would say the biggest challenge, which is why I incorporated intensely in the program, is my mindset. Is that even though I had all of these degrees and all of these credentials and all of this experience, particularly when I decided to launch my own practice, just believing that I could do that and it would be successful. I had the same thoughts that other people have that if I make a pivot, I'm going to lose all my money and be bankrupt and be homeless, right? <laughs> it's like what people think will happen when they make a change. So really working through my mindset, really challenging my thoughts, challenging those false beliefs, those old narratives, like cleaning all that out, that was the biggest hurdle. And once I was able to do that and really start seeing what was possible for me, then I mean, I catapulted into the success I have because I shift my belief system around what was possible for me. Awesome. Again, Carol, I really appreciate you taking the time today to discuss making a career pivot in midlife. So how can people connect with you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them? Awesome. Well, the perfect place to find me is on my website. So if you go to www.carolparkerwalsh.com, you'll find, you know, my blog, you'll find resources, you'll find my podcast, and you'll find ways that I could be able to support you and we could be a little rebellious together. <laughs> Great. I appreciate the time once again. Thank you for having me. 
Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening and until next time. Thank you.